Chapter Twenty Six of the Mystery of the Yellow Room. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more free audiobooks or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by J. C. Guan. The Mystery of the Yellow Room by Gaston Leroux. Chapter Twenty Six, in which Joseph Rouletabille is awaited with impatience. On the fifteenth of January, that is to say. Two months and a half after the tragic events I have narrated, the epoch printed as the first column of the front page the following sensational article: The Senewa's jury is summoned today to give its verdict on one of the most mysterious affairs in the annals of crime. There never has been a case with so many obscure, incomprehensible, and inexplicable points, and yet the prosecution has not hesitated. To put into the prisoner's dock a man who is respected, esteemed, and loved by all who knew him, a young savant, the hope of French science, whose whole life has been devoted to knowledge and truth, when Paris heard of Monsieur Robert Darzac's arrest, a unanimous cry of protest arose from all sides. The whole Sorbonne, disgraced by this act of the examining magistrate, asserted its belief. In the innocence of Mademoiselle Stangerson's fiance, Monsieur Stangerson was loud in his denunciation of this miscarriage of justice. There is no doubt in the mind of anybody that could the victim speak, she would claim from the jurors of Senewas, the man she wishes to make her husband, and whom the prosecution would send to the scaffold. It is to be hoped that Mademoiselle Stangerson will shortly recover her reason. Which has been temporarily unhinged by the horrible mystery at the Glandier. The question before the jury is the one we propose to deal with this very day. We have decided not to permit twelve worthy men to commit a disgraceful miscarriage of justice. We confess that the remarkable coincidences, the many convicting evidences, and the inexplicable silence on the part of the accused. As well as a total absence of any evidence for an alibi, were enough to warrant the bench of judges in assuming that in this man alone was centred the truth of the affair. The evidences are, in appearance, so overwhelming against Monsieur Robert Darzac that a detective so well informed, so intelligent, and generally so successful as Monsieur Frederic Larsan, may be excused for having been misled by them. Up to now, everything has gone against Monsieur Robert Darzac in the magisterial inquiry. Today, however, we are going to defend him before the jury, and we are going to bring to the witness stand a light that will illuminate the whole mystery of the Glandier, for we possess the truth. If we have not spoken sooner, it is because the interests of certain parties in the case demand that we should take that course. Our readers may remember the unsigned report we published relating to the left foot of the Rue Oberkamp, at the time of the famous robbery of the Crédit Universel, and the famous case of the gold ingots of the mint. In both those cases, we were able to discover the truth before even the excellent ingenuity of Frederic Larsan had been able to unravel it. These reports were written by our youngest reporter, Joseph Rouletabille. A youth of eighteen, whose fame tomorrow will be world wide. 
when attention was first drawn to the Glandier case, our youthful reporter was on the spot and installed in the chateau, when every other representative of the press had been denied admission. He worked side by side with Frédéric Larsan. He was amazed and terrified at the grave mistake the celebrated detective was about to make, and tried to divert him from the false scent he was following. But the great Fred refused to receive instructions from this young journalist. We know now where it brought M. Robert Darzac. But now France must know, the whole world must know, that on the very evening on which M. Darzac was arrested, young Rouletabille entered our editorial office and informed us that he was about to go away on a journey. "'How long I shall be away?' he said. "'I cannot say. Perhaps a month, perhaps two, perhaps three, perhaps I may never return. Here is a letter. If I am not back on the day on which M. Darzac is to appear before the Assize Court, have this letter opened and read to the court, after all the witnesses have been heard.' Arrange it with M. Darzac's counsel. M. Darzac is innocent. In this letter is written the name of the murderer. And that is all I have to say. I am leaving to get my proofs for the irrefutable evidence of the murderer's guilt. Our reporter departed. For a long time we were without news from him. But a week ago a stranger called upon our manager and said, Act in accordance with the instructions of Joseph Rodabille, if it becomes necessary to do so. The letter left by him holds the truth. The gentleman who brought us this message would not give us his name. Today, the 15th of January, is the day of the trial. Joseph Rodabille has not returned. It may be we shall never see him again. The press also counts its heroes, its martyrs to duty. It may be he is no longer living. We shall know how to avenge him. Our manager will, this afternoon, be at the court of Assise at Versailles, with the letter, the letter containing the name of the murderer. Those Parisians, who flocked to the Assise court at Versailles to be present at the trial of what was known as the mystery of the Yellow Room, will certainly remember the terrible crush at the Saint-Lazare station. The ordinary trains were so full that special trains had to be made up. The article in the Epoque had so excited the populace that discussion was rife everywhere, even to the verge of blows. Partisans of Rouletabille fought with the supporters of Frédéric Larsan. Curiously enough, the excitement was due less to the fact that an innocent man was in danger of a wrongful conviction than to the interest taken in their own ideas as to the mystery of the Yellow Room. Each had his explanation, to which each held fast. Those who explained the crime on Frédéric Larsan's theory would not admit that there could be any doubt as to the perspicacity of the popular detective. Others, who had arrived at a different solution, naturally insisted that this was Rouletabille's explanation, though they did not as yet know what that was. With the day's epoch in their hands, the Larsans and the Rouletabilles fought and shoved each other on the steps of the Palais de Justice, right into the court itself. Those who could not get in remained in the neighborhood until evening, and were, with great difficulty, 
kept back by the soldiery and the police. They became hungry for news, welcoming the most absurd rumors. At one time, the rumors spread that Monsieur Stangerson himself had been arrested in the courts and had confessed to being the murderer. This goes to show what a pitch of madness nervous excitement may carry people. Rouletabille was still expected. Some pretended to know him, and when a young man with a pass crossed the open space which separated the crowd from the courthouse, a scuffle took place. Cries were raised of Rouletabille, there's Rouletabille. The arrival of the manager of the paper was the signal for a great demonstration. Some applauded, others hissed. The trial itself was presided over by Monsieur de Rocouz, a judge filled with the prejudice of his class, but a man honest at heart. The witnesses had been called. I was there, of course, as were all who had, in any way, been in touch with the mysteries of the Glandier. Monsieur Stangerson, looking many years older and almost unrecognizable, Larsan, Arthur Rance, with his face ruddy as ever, Daddy Jacques, Daddy Mathieu, who was brought into court handcuffed between two gendarmes, Madame Mathieu, in tears, the two Berniers, the two nurses, the steward, all the domestics of the chateau, the employé of the Paris post-office, the railway employé from Epinay, some friends of Monsieur and Mademoiselle Stangerson, and all Monsieur Darzac's witnesses. I was lucky enough to be called early in the trial, so that I was then able to watch and be present at almost the whole of the proceedings. The court was so crowded that many lawyers were compelled to find seats on the steps. Behind the bench of justices were representatives from other benches. Monsieur Robert Darzac stood in the prisoner's dock, between policemen, tall, handsome, and calm. A murmur of admiration, rather than of compassion, greeted his appearance. He leaned forward towards his counsel, Maître Henri Robert, who, assisted by his chief secretary, Maître André S., was busy turning over the folios of his brief. Many expected that Monsieur Stangerson, after giving his evidence, would have gone over to the prisoner and shaken hands with him. But he left the court without another word. It was remarked that the jurors appeared to be deeply interested in a rapid conversation which the manager of the epoch was having with Maître Henri Robert. The manager, later, sat down in the front row of the public seats. Some were surprised that he was not asked to remain with the other witnesses in the room reserved for them. The reading of the indictment was got through, as it always is, without any incident. I shall not here report the long examination to which Monsieur Robert Darzac was subjected. He answered all the questions quickly and easily. His silence as to the important matters of which we know was dead against him. It would seem as if this reticence would be fatal to him. He resented the President's reprimands. He was told that his silence might mean death. Very well, he said. I will submit to it but I am innocent. With that splendid ability which has made his fame, Maître Robert took advantage of the incident, and tried to show that it brought out in noble relief his client's character 
for only heroic natures could remain silent for moral reasons in face of such a danger. The eminent advocate, however, only succeeded in assuring those who were already assured of Darzac's innocence. At the adjournment, Rouletabille had not arrived yet. Every time a door opened, all eyes were turned towards it and back to the manager of the epoch, who sat impassive in his place. When he once was feeling in his pocket, a loud murmur of expectation followed. The letter. It is not, however, my intention to report in detail the course of the trial. My readers are sufficiently acquainted with the mysteries surrounding the Glandier case to enable me to go on to the really dramatic denouement of this ever-memorable day. When the trial was resumed, Maître Henri Robert questioned Daddy Mathieu as to his complicity in the death of the keeper. His wife was also brought in and was confronted by her husband. She burst into tears and confessed that she had been the keeper's mistress and that her husband had suspected it. She again, however, affirmed that he had had nothing to do with the murder of her lover. Maître Henri Robert thereupon asked the court to hear Frédéric Larson on this point. In a short conversation which I have had with Frédéric Larson, during the adjournment, declared the advocate, he has made me understand that the death of the keeper may have been brought about otherwise than by the hand of Mathieu. It will be interesting to hear Frédéric Larson's theory. Frédéric Larson was brought in. His explanation was quite clear. I see no necessity, he said, for bringing Mathieu in this. I have told Monsieur de Marquet that the man's threats had biased the examining magistrate against him. To me, the attempt to murder Mademoiselle and the death of the keeper are the work of one and the same person. Mademoiselle Stangerson's murderer, flying through the court, was fired on. It was thought he was struck, perhaps killed. As a matter of fact, he only stumbled at the moment of his disappearance behind the corner of the right wing of the chateau. There he encountered the keeper, who, no doubt, tried to seize him. The murderer had in his hand the knife with which he had stabbed Mademoiselle Stangerson, and with this he killed the keeper. This very simple explanation appeared at once plausible and satisfying. A murmur of approbation was heard. And the murderer, what became of him? asked the President. He was evidently hidden in an obscure corner at the end of the court. After the people had left the court, carrying with them the body of the keeper, the murderer quietly made his escape. The words had scarcely left Larson's mouth, when from the back of the court came a joyful voice, I agree with Frédéric Larson as to the death of the keeper, but I do not agree with him as to the way the murderer escaped. Everybody turned round, astonished. The clerks of the court sprang towards the speaker, calling out silence, and the president angrily ordered the intruder to be immediately expelled. The same clear voice, however, was again heard. It is I, Monsieur Président, Joseph Rouletabille. End of chapter 26 Recording by J. C. Guan Montreal, November 2008